Picture this. It's blazing hot outside and you need to head to work. You get into your car and turn on the AC to get the cold air pumping as soon as possible, but it doesn't work. Instead, blowing hot air out of your vents and directly into your face. No, your car doesn't hate you. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the air conditioning system, and there's an easy all-in-one solution that will restore your cold air in no time. There's no need to go to the shop and pay lots of money when you can save time and money recharging yourself with AC Pro Recharge Kits. AC Pro Recharge Kits make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience. And the AC Pro app offers clear, vehicle-specific instructions to help you get the job done in less than 10 minutes. So pick up an AC Pro Recharge Kit at any store selling auto products and confidently restore your car's cold air yourself today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or the property. It's the location and neighborhood, Dalton. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when we say in-depth, we're talking deep in-depth. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, a home, this is everything you need to know all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. The following is a production of Dirty Mo Media. There he is. Come on in here, buddy. Have a seat. Hey, everybody. Glad you tuned in. It's time for another episode of the Dale Jr. Download. Mike Davis, Dale and Hart Jr. in the Bojangle Studio. We've got a great guest today. Well, how, how you doing, Red? I'm doing fine right now. This They're is every like... week, okay, bro? <laughs> Buckle in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> died on that hill you, yep. your career died on that hill and you were hard-headed you're a bigger idiot i didn't even think about it no. you thought about it and didn't ask that it. makes me the bigger idiot. i think so <laughs> hey everybody it's dale jr back again another episode of the dale jr download and i'm here in the bojangle studio surrounded by these lionel die casts so pretty um still waiting on the uh Late model stock uh, diecast to come out. The new late model stock diecast coming out this year. Can't wait to see it. I come in here every week with my co-host Mike Davis, and I'm waiting on it, Mike. You're looking for the diecast. I'm looking for it. <laughs> Anyways, we got a great guest for you today on the show, um, and obviously, always presented to you by Ally. Ally, a big supporter of NASCAR and of the Dale Junior Download here, bringing us these guest segments every single week. This week's guest interview uh, is Donnie Allison. Legend. He is. Uh, one of the members of the Alabama gang. He's had an incredible career. In fact, he is one of the members of this year's Pioneer Ballot. He's been you know, considered for the Hall of Fame for many years, but again, the, the voting has began. 
uh, fans can actually vote now. We'll talk about this a little bit later in the show, but I want to thank Ally for their continued support. And, uh, and Donnie's going to be a lot of fun to talk to. I got a really unique connection with Donnie and his family that I really didn't see coming in my life. But it was something that I really needed, and uh, we'll touch on that as well. Should we just get him on in here? Well, I will say this. Uh, you know, we were working on this 1979 project, Becoming Earnhardt, and Donnie Allison, as you go through those scraps and those those headlines, he's in everything. He was so prevalent in all of the stories, and we don't even need to talk just about the Daytona 500. We can talk about the whole season. I can't wait just to talk to Donnie about 79. He's got right. opinions, and he's sharp as a whistle. That's right. So, um Again, thank you to Ally, and we'll bring Donnie in here and get started. Donnie Allison on the Dale Jr. Download. There he is. <laughs> Come on in. Donnie Allison, how are you? I'm great, man. I'm good. It's good to see you. Good to see you. Um, I've known you a really long time, obviously. You've been around this sport for, for forever, for almost <laughs> all of it, right? And um, so we're thankful to have you here. Where do you live? I live in Salisbury. Uh, okay. Yeah, I lived there since 89. Yep. I came up here to run Nemechek's Bush Steel his first year, his yep. rookie year, and stayed ever since. Gotcha. And so how often do you get back down to Alabama? Well, not as much as I'd like. I, I have a farm down there, and uh, speaking of that, I, I spend quite a bit of time down there during the wintertime and hunting season. And, uh, of course, you know my boys and everything, they – all of us hunt, so yeah. But I don't get down there as much as I like to. Yeah, that's an interesting uh, segue. So, Mike might know parts of this, but um, I was 16 years old and got a job working at uh, Kenny Allison's uh, shop, which is your son. And uh, there were two twin boys, Ronald and Donald. Right. And. <clears throat> I didn't know your boys at all. I knew you, uh, and I knew who you were. Um, but they built, at the time, Legends cars. They were the only manufacturer of Legends cars at the time. I was, I mean, Legends cars has only had only been around maybe five years or less. And so I was still driving my black and silver S10, so this is probably, I'm probably 17 years old. And I drove like the third ever Legends car built. So I mean, this is pretty early in the Legends car, in the Legends car world. Um, I went over there and started working on uh, things with Kenny, and helping. He was just teaching me about how to use a torch and how to clean parts and how to weld. In the back of the shop, they actually built Davies Cup cars for Robert Yates, and. Um, and the uh, that was pretty incredible to go back there and see uh, you know the Texaco Havoline number twenty eight car getting a new front clip or getting you know, a brand new car being built. Um, and so I I don't know that they built all of the cars for Yates then, but I know that there were several of them back there always getting worked on. And so um, and I remember and it was in Salisbury out out up on. Uh, 70 or 40? Highway 70. Highway 70, right? And I just, I mean, it's literally uh, five miles from my house today. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, but anyways, I got a, I got to know Kenny and Ronald and Donald. I loved them. I still uh, have my paycheck stubs and a printout of my first paychecks from them. Kenny gave it to me in a frame. Do you remember how much? 
It wasn't much, but it was enough. It was more than I ever made. That's right. Let me tell you a little bit about that. Okay. Pat got that ready. We went down to Talladega and did the uh, presentation on the back straight away. Uh, we gave Dale that the canceled paycheck for six <laughs> weeks. And the total thing wasn't but 800 something dollars. And I, Amy was sitting there at the time. I was a little bit different now than Amy. <laughs> hey, no, I, I tell you what, though, that $800, I mean, yeah. that's more than what you would have had. Now, what was he like as an employee? Well, uh, I think he did all right. Kenny, he talks about him a little bit. Of course, Kenny talks about all of them, but yeah. uh, uh, it was really unique the way that all transpired. Uh, Dale Sr. called Kenny and said, can you give Dale Jr. a job? He said, I can't do anything with you. <laughs> and Kenny said, send him up. That's how he came up there. Talking about that, Dale, talking about those cars in the back to 28, uh, Kenny built some pretty good Bush cars at the time and quite a few good Winston Cup yes. cars. You know, he built a 30 car that, that uh, Michael Waltham set on the pole at Richmond with, and, you know, then they brought it back home and cut it up and, Kenny was close to Banjo because of my relationship with Banjo. But anyway, Kenny Allison was the first one to manufacture Legends cars. Yes. What happened, Humpy called me. They were trying to have that race at Charlotte. And Roddy Combs was building the cars at the time, and they weren't going to have the cars ready. And he wanted to know, could my son do it? I said, you'll have to ask him, not me. Well, Kenny agreed to do it. They finished the last car one hour before the race started at Charlotte. You know, the legend race with me and Bobby and all the old guys driving. But anyway, uh, Kenny Allison and Ronald Donald, Allison Brothers Race Cars, built 780 legend legend cars. cars. And then another 75 framed after Humpy took it away from them. Yeah, now it's 600 racing. That's Yeah, well, they, you know, it was a bad deal for yeah. uh, the, the Legacy car, which is being built now 30 years. Allison Legacy. Allison Legacy car. They're still racing. They're still running. Pat does the whole series, and, uh, you know, they're really a good car for, for youngsters to learn to drive in. Better than a Legends car. I liked the Legends car. It was very, very unique to drive because it had a lot of horsepower and a little bitty car. But a Legacy car teaches you how to drive. Mm. And in order to run good in a legacy car, you got to have your gas pedal master the floor. So I mean, it, it's uh, it's a little different, but it's not. Yeah. So um, the uh, rumor is, so I ran I the car that I ended up driving when I was sixteen was the third car ever built, and the rumor is that that car is still out there somewhere. I've heard that it's sitting in a building somewhere that y'all have. Either you own it, you own the building, or Kenny owns it. Yeah, um, Pat could probably tell you better than that, me, uh, uh, but it is still in existence, <laughs> believe me. <laughs> um, you know, we, we, we have several cars in the museum in North Carolina Museum, uh, Mooresville. Okay. And, uh, I don't know for sure where your car is, yeah. but it's somewhere around. Somewhere. So, anyhow, I wanted to tell you, and you might have heard, I don't know, but uh, I started working on a project. Uh, here recently about the 1979 season and you play a big role in that year um, and I wanted to talk about that It's it, but before we get to 1979 um, I want to kind of encompass your cup career to that point you raced um, for Banjo Matthews in the 27 uh, beautiful race car had a lot of success 
run for different people. You raced in the Indy 500 twice, running in the top 10, top five one time. I think you finished fourth and sixth in the Indy yeah, 500. Yeah, fourth and sixth. Yeah. Best finishing rookie in that race for a long time, all the way so, to 93. All right. So we know today we know today what it's like for um, a cup driver to go do that or, or, an, or, a, or an IndyCar driver to come do NASCAR. What was the transition like back then? Was it was it totally foreign to you to go drive something like that? No, it really wasn't, Dale. You know, I, I spent three years actually driving super modifieds and Mobile, Pensacola, and everything. You know, mm-hmm. I had a, a fourteen hundred and twenty six pound car with a three quarter stroke Chevrolet injected engine in it with a wing on top, and if your belt was tight enough, you could run as fast as you want to run. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I loved it. Uh, I, I won a, a ton of races in in a super, uh, and I just felt like I, I wanted to drive an Indy car. And it's unique because I'd see AJ, and I'd say to him, when are you going to let me drive one of your Indy cars? Oh, you, you're a stock car driver. Uh, and 1970 at Daytona 500, you know, he was driving for the Woods Brothers, and I was driving for Banjo. And I said, uh, when are you going to let me drive one of your Indy cars? He said, you really want to do that, don't you? I said, yes, I wouldn't tell you that if I didn't want to do it. He said, I'll call you. Well, I heard that BS before, you know. <laughs> but anyway, the phone rings, and it was AJ. He said, come to Houston. You and Tony, talking about his daddy, are going to get a car ready. So I go to Houston, and we go back in a warehouse, and up on the top rack here, this frame sitting there. He said, that's your car there. He said, get it down, and you and Dad put it together. So we got it down. It was a 1968 Eagle. It wasn't even a Coyote car. It was an Eagle car. And Tony and I put it, well, I didn't stay the full time we were putting it together. In fact, I got cussed out about it about 50 times because I left Tony with a little work left to do because I went back to racing. Anyway, this car is the one I ran in 1970. And believe me, I had a rough time at Indy. What happened? Well, I went there, and they had a driver orientation, rookie driver orientation. They told me when I went out on the racetrack, I better not go in the track. I better stay in those ripples in the apron and all this kind of stuff. And A.J. told me, he said, do not run in those ripples. Well, USAC's telling me to run in the ripples. And they're, they're going to give me my, my rookie test. I'm, I'm getting ready to start a rookie test now. And I go out the first time, and I go down and turn one, and ripples, and I spin out. You know, I get to bouncing all around. Dale can tell you. He knows. He's been in them. He's been in the ripples. <laughs> but anyway, so then the war started. AJ and you sack officials. Oh, I mean, it was, it was terrible. And here I am standing there with my shoulder up around my ears, you know, because I, I I wanted to hide. And when it got done, A.J. turned around to me. He said, you listen to what I tell you to do, not what they tell you to do. Well, I'm the only rookie that I know of or ever heard of that ran their whole rookie test without coming in. I went out the next time, and I finished the whole rookie test that time. Mm-hmm. And went well, then, then it was pretty good. I, I, I ran some, and I, I got a custom car pretty good. 
And I kept hollering at AJ, I wanted some wings on the nose of my car. See, that eagle, that round nose with no wings. Everybody had wings on the nose. AJ said, you don't need noses on, uh, wings on that nose. Yeah, I got to have them. So he took, <laughs> told the sheet metal man to build me some nose wings. Well, they did. Well, I go out, and this is another lesson was very, very hard to learn. You better look at that windsock and see which way the wind's blowing. Right. Because it very definitely has an effect on the car. Anyway, I spin 360 degrees going in turn three and hit the wall straight ahead. I don't know how fast I was going, but I hadn't slowed down very much when I started spinning. Anyway, I bit my tongue. And I was bleeding in my mouth a little bit, not bad. I hit my knees a little bit, but I was all right. Well, A.J. met us at the Enfield Care Center. And when I came out, he said... You all right? I said, yep, I'm fine. I said, I bit my tongue. I had a little blood on my lip, I guess, or whatever. But anyway, he said, bit your tongue? How'd you bite your tongue? I said, well, just before I got to the wall, I said, oh. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They took eight days to fix the car. They had to put a new bulkhead in and everything like that. My first time lap after the wreck was the fastest lap I'd run to that time. Mm-hmm. And from that time, it was clear sailing. Yeah. So while you're running this race at Indy, do you are are you um, surprised how well you're doing? Or are you expecting to do no, that good? No, I, I, I really wasn't, Dale, because of my, like I said, my my life in the in the super modifieds. You know, I felt very comfortable. In fact, the last 15 laps of the race, the last 10 laps anyway. Bobby Unser and Mary Andretti and I passed each other at least three times before I finally got in front of them and was able to say in front of them. After the race, I got paid the best compliment in the world. AJ was all mad because he tore a transmission up or something. And I think you remember big Chester Honeycup used to go with me everywhere. He put him on the door, told him don't let nobody in. They had a big party set up. But anyway, I'm over there changing my clothes, sitting on the bench. And Foyt, he's probably about, there was three stalls in that garage area. He was the last stall over anyway. And somebody got knocked on the door. Well, Chester opened it a little bit. It was A.J. Watson, Who's which that? was Bobby Munster's crew chief. He said, A.J., sorry I had trouble. He said, I want to talk to Allison. He walked over to me and just as straight as he could. He took out his hands. I'm going to shake your hand. You're the only stock car driver I've ever seen that could drive one of these things. And now... That compliment to me was probably as good as I've ever had in my life. You know, here's a guy that, well, he knows he had good race car drivers come and say that to me. It took yeah. time to come around in the garage area and say that to me. Yeah. And, I mean, I, I liked it. 71 was a horse of a different color. <laughs> yeah. And it, 71 was probably worse than 70 as far as getting ready to race. I was in an old uh, Coyote. I wasn't going to run fast enough. I'd qualified. I was going to get bumped by Steve Krisloff and Henry Granatelli's car, which that was a fiasco. And A.J. had a brand-new straight-sided Coyote sitting there, and he'd run three laps, and he'd run 173 mile an hour in it. And he was sitting there, and Foyt said to me, he said, fold the blanket up and take it. That was his favorite thing. Fold a Goodyear blanket up, put it in the seat, and take a ride. <laughs> That's what, see, he was way bigger than I was yeah. anyway, and at the time I was pretty little. But anyway, 
I folded up my ta- my first laps, 174 and a half. Mm. So when I came in, he said, go back to the garage and make a fit. You know, you move the pedals. You don't move the seat. You move the pedals and the steering and everything. So I did. And I come out, and I go out pit road, and as I go through turn one, the cost light comes on. Well, I come come in pit road, and they're running down pit road facing me, motioning me to get in qualifying line. Now, hey, I run this car two laps. So I pull over in the qualifying line, and Foyt comes over, and he squats down. He says, I'm going to just – he says, I'm going to – Withdraw that other car, you're going to qualify this one. Wow. So him and Granatelli were up there at that little podium in the pit road arguing and fighting. I see arm flying. Granatelli wanted to bump A.J.'s car, not necessarily Donnie Allison, but A.J.'s car. And A.J. didn't want that to happen. <laughs> and Kristoff was going to bump it, no question. So he gets this all done. He comes back over, and he squats down beside me. And he said, when you leave pit road, you run as fast as you can run because we're going to time you the first lap, and if it's not fast enough, I'm going to throw the yellow flag. So you have four laps. At the end of the fourth lap, you got to qualify, or they can throw a yellow flag and call it off. Well, I said very politely, yeah, you can stick that yellow flag where the sun don't shine. <laughs> he said, I said, if this thing don't feel good, I ain't driving it. Anyway, they had time marked off and stopwatch and everything, and AJ said, if you see a number on a magnetic board, put your hand up and take your time. Well, my first lap was 174.9. My second lap was 175.2. And my third lap, I put my hand up. I didn't wait for no sign on the board. I knew how fast it was going. I got a tachometer sitting right there. Well, I ran all my laps over 174 miles except the last one. I slowed down about almost a mile an hour. A.J. didn't say good job or anything when I come in. He said, how in the hell come you slow down so much your last lap? <laughs> yeah. That's Foyt for you. Yeah. I was going to say, is that not quintessential Foyt, right? Like, not, yep. he's not going to get your – Well, you I'm going to you... tell you something about Foyt, okay? All right. That is the best race car driver I know. Mm. And I know so. a lot of them. Yes, yeah. you do. And I've known a lot of them. But let me tell you something. That man, everything he got in – he won in. Yeah. Did you feel that way then? Pretty much, I, I would say. Pretty much. Uh, you know, I, I always felt like I was a good race car driver, probably as good as there was. I knew I was as good as my brother. I knew I was as good as Red. I knew I was as good as Dale Sr. Um, the difference in, in our careers and our lives were the way they raced and the way I race. But as far as driving ability, um, and, and 71 after I told Foyt, why don't you let me run for the championship? If you want to win the race four times, the only way you're going to do it is concentrate on one car, not put four in the race. He put four in the race every year. And so I taught myself out of a ride for 72, and then he put three cars in anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So after, 71, after 70 and 71, he never ran again. Did you go back up there and try to qualify? No, no. Never no, no, again. I never went back. 72, Dale, uh, Wally Muskowski called me. He was on my crew, and he was with another car, and he wanted to know what I'd come drive it. Yeah. I said, no. I said, no disrespect or anything else. If I don't feel like I could do better than yeah. a four, I, I never would get in another one. Yeah. That well, makes the sense. boy that got, drove that car got killed the next year. Oh. Banjo Matthews, number 27 car. What do you – what's your uh, – what was Banjo like? What was, what was driving that car like? 
That was probably the best part of my career. Uh, really? Um, I'll never forget it. See, I went to Daytona in, in a home of Moody Carr in mm-hmm. 68. Yep. And one race deal. And I was on Firestone tires, and I busted a tire and turned one hit the wall. And I kept the car on the wall to keep from causing a wreck. And so here I'm out. I'm very dejected. You know, it's my only chance, and I, and I, I crash. Well, they called me over to the home Moody office, and I said, oh, no. So I go in there, and, and John Callie, which was the second in command of Ford, which didn't care for me, I didn't think too much. And he said, uh, you want to drive Banjo's car at Rockingham? I said, yes, sir. I sure do. He said, well, he says, uh, Banjo's over in the Infield Care Center. Uh, go, go talk to him. Why was he in the Infield Care Center? He was always in the infield care center. Was he driving in? <laughs> no, 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 no. He? he he was he was just a, a car owner at the time. Okay, so he had a driver in the infield yeah, care center. Yeah, you know, he at? was in there because he didn't feel good or whatever. Oh, he had his own issues. So I go over there and he tells me they go to Atlanta for a test that next week, and then I could drive him to Atlanta. He said we're going to run Rockingham. He said well, we got to run a four twenty seven. Mm-hmm. That was the first year they had a three ninety and a weight break. I had to run a 427, and I didn't give a damn what I did as long as I could run. Yeah. So anyway, we go to Atlanta for this tire test. And you know, Dale, you've been there, the ice across the back straightaway where the gate was at the time and everything, and it was pretty cold. Well, by the time they got my seat adjusted to where I – A.J. Foyt drove that car before I did. Mm-hmm. But anyway – so I get ready to go out, and I'm sitting up here on the bench, and Banjo says, uh, just go out there and take it easy. Find out where you want to go. And I said, well, I probably need some. He said, just a race car. Go drive it. So I go out there, and I and I run the first time, and Leroy's there, Leroy in a junior's car. Ooh. And he outruns me probably a couple mile an hour or whatever the first time on the racetrack. Second time on the racetrack, I run in by about three-tenths of a second. Wow. Well, that opened eyeballs up then. The whole test, the rest of the test, Leroy never ran as fast as I ran. And so I'm going to run Rockingham. Rockingham gets rained out. Well, I'm, you know, the good Lord's showing me where I belong, I guess. So they want to know, do I want to run Bristol? God, Yes. So anyway, I go, I run Bristol. We run pretty good. Go back to Rockingham, I win my very first cup race. That was your very first win. In 68, right. So how many, so is that like a limited deal? They just ran here? Yeah, see, I, I never ran, Dale, in all my career. I never, never ran. Never ran a full season? Never ran for a championship. Was that on purpose? Not really, not really. I, I Partly because I felt like I had a very good short track car. I wanted to win. You know, the money was one thing, but I, I wanted to win. And I didn't want to drive a car that I didn't think I could win in. You know, if I thought I could win in, I'd be glad to get in. Yeah. And uh, uh, so I, I think that's the reason. My only regret in racing, my only regret in racing, that I didn't get a good car to drive for a championship. A full-time deal. Because I probably would have won it. Yeah. And so you, you raced short tracks a lot. 
and ran cup when you could find a car that you knew could win. And that typically would be a car that would only run 15 to 20 races a year. And so in 1972 uh, to 76, you drove for Monty Myers, Bud Moore, Penske, Crawford Racing, Diegard, Haas Ellington, Howard Egerton. Talk about the Diegard deal. So you talk about you wanted to be in cars that could win, but this is a brand new team. Well, let me, let me tell you, let me start from the beginning on that because, yeah. see, I, I'm in Alabama and I got my own race car in my own shop. In fact, I still own a house and shop where it's at. Really? But anyway, uh, Bill Gardner comes to me and he said, I want to start a team. He said, I want you. Do you know him? No. Yeah. No, I didn't. I didn't know him. I, I He come from Connecticut. He was in the special metal business or what i don't know what the hell business is but anyway uh he had a brother-in-law named mike de prospero mm -hmm. and uh that's where the die guard come from everybody thought that was a product it wasn't it was two boys name yes mike de prospero and bill gardner so anyway we go to riverside california we have a meeting with bobby and bobby who allison oh and Bobby says, nope, I don't want a teammate. I don't even want my brother's teammate. Mm, wait. I don't, don't want to be a part of that. Yeah, they were going to put you both in cars? Yeah, he wanted a team with Bobby and I both. Damn. So anyway, we go back, and we start talking about what he wants to do. And he tells me, okay, he said, we're going to take all your stuff and put it into the company and give you stock in the company. So Pat and I, we talk a little bit, and uh, we don't know what the hell we're doing. And so I agree to it. Mm -hmm. So I, I put two race cars, a drive-on 600 Ford truck I had bought from Banjo to pull my, all my equipment, my welders, my, and I had Airco welders at the time. I had everything good. I had all the pit equipment. I had everything to run a race car. I put it into the stock for stock and die guard. Well... Then he comes to me and said, I want to move to Daytona Beach. He said, I think we need to be down there by NASCAR. I said, Bill, it doesn't matter if you put move in the office. You're not going to be by NASCAR. <laughs> I said, you don't get by NASCAR. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, yep, we went down to Fenders Boulevard, bought that building. In Daytona. In Daytona. My dad and I put the lifts in the floor. That was my dad's business when we were kids. And we do all the work in that shop, build a race. I... Sell my house in Hueytown. I had a place on a river. I owned the property. I wasn't leased property. Yeah. Stupid sold it. Moved to Daytona one year. Goodness. You lived there for a year? Yeah. 74 <laughs> to 75. <laughs> I got fired on the back of a boat. Wait. They in, fired you? In 1975 in July, after the July 4th race at Daytona, I got fired. Why? On the back of a boat. And Bill Gardner says, you can't drive anymore. Why were you on the back of a boat? <laughs> That's what, what he was in, a yacht. Okay, okay. he was doing well. <laughs> yeah, it was like your dad's yacht. <laughs> and but, he, he called you over to the boat to oh tell, yeah, you, tell oh yeah. you were done? Tell him After the race? After the race. <laughs> what had happened in that race? Weren't you running good? Yeah, I think I finished sixth or seventh, or I was running fifth or fourth. Yeah. I don't know, something happened. But anyway, I got fired. I get a letter from... Pete Penzer, that's the lawyer. I won't forget this, so I'll let it be 150 now. And I know that lady back there won't forget it either. She's shaking her head, to be honest with you. She, she's right with you on this. 
I get a letter. They offered me $250 for my stock in the company. Now, this is to buy all my racing stuff and everything else. They offered me 250 bucks. So I got pretty upset, I guess. And so I go to Bobby, and we go to a real good friend of our lawyer in downtown Birmingham, one uh, big deal. And he reads all the stuff. He said, Donnie, he said, well, he says, uh, you might as well take the 250 because the stock ain't worth nothing. You know, the company stock ain't worth nothing. Yeah. So I told Pat, I said, huh, I wrote a letter back to Pete Penzer, $500, and they sent me $500. That's what I got for my stock. They bought the whole damn race team for 500 bucks. Yeah. Here I am in Daytona Beach with a wife and four kids. I got to go back to Alabama. I ain't even got a crescent wrench to my name. Right. I have $2,300 in a savings account, which I'll never forget. A good friend of mine in Alabama and his wife say, you can move in with us. Who's that? It is Horace Gray was his name. Okay. Nell and Horace Gray. They didn't have any kids. They were older people. Got it. They were the ones that was supposed to go with Bobby the day he crashed the helicopter. Uh, Horace was. He didn't go. But anyway, so we moved in with him. I went to Bobby, and I said, Bobby, I need a, been a place in your shop to build me a race car. Okay, 100 bucks I charge you. Well, Neil Salter had a late model there, number 87, it was a, it was a Nova. I go to Neil, I said, you want to sell that car? He said, yeah. How much you want for it? He said, 8700 bucks. So I go to Pat, and I say, Pat, where are we going to get $8,700? She says, I haven't got a clue. I don't know. So I go to the bank. Sam Nielsen is the head of the bank, and I said, Sam, I need some money. He said, how much you need now? You want to try to pay it back? I said, I need $9,000, and I don't know how in the hell I'm going to pay it back. <laughs> so he said, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to give you a 90-day note. In the 90 days, you pay the interest, and we'll renew it. So I buy this race car. The first week of this race car, I put half these springs under the back. John LaSera, Pat's brother, younger brother, is working for me. He came from Die Garden. And I go to BIR. I win. I go to Montgomery. I win. Come back the next week, I put a new Allison Stout on the front. Well, the next week at BIR Friday night is a three-feature night. They said Neil did it, but he didn't. I'm the only one that won three features on the same night. I won the three features. And I won 99% of the rest of them that year. <laughs> and then you could probably pay your back. Uh, I did. I paid the note back. Paid your note back Yes, quick. I did. I paid it back in time. And it was very rewarding. Yeah. But the most rewarding race I ever run, I think, was the National 500 in the Hosses car when I won in the black and gold car. Yep. And after the race, I walked over to Bill Gardner, and I punched him in the chest hard what? enough to make a hole. <laughs> and I said, I'm the son of a can't drive, remember? Yeah. I, didn't, I thought you run for them for more than you did. So that was a really short period of time driving for uh, – Die guard. Yes. And then and that ended very badly. And I didn't know it was I didn't know that ended the way it did. From I guess through seventy when did you get with Haas in seventy eight? Seventy six. Seventy six you start driving for Haas. And y'all are running fourteen to twenty races a year? Yeah, we uh, I think the most races we run was eighteen. Yeah. In seventy nine? Yeah. 
The Dale Jr. Download is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. You going to any concerts this summer, man? I am. I'm seeing a concert in June. Hardy and Kit Moore. Love Hardy. In uh, Charlotte. I was so stressed getting the tickets. I'm going to be front row. I'm, gonna, I'm in the pit. When these tickets go out, man, I am online as soon as tickets open i don't want to miss a thing yeah you, you know you gotta act quick yes and when you want the best you have to act quickly or someone else will get it instead it's like if you're hiring for a business you want to find the most talented people for your open roles before the competition scoops them up mm. so what's the best way to do that zip recruiter ZipRecruiter finds qualified candidates fast, and right now, you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Dale Jr. ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology takes center stage to identify top talent for your roles. Immediately after you post your job, ZipRecruiter's smart technology starts showing you qualified people for it. Amp up your hiring performance with ZipRecruiter and find the best fast. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash Dale Jr. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash Dale Jr. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. So... I'm reading. I'm reading and doing research about the '79 season, as I told you. And obviously, uh, the Daytona 500 is a big part of that year. Probably, what people say, and I agree with this, that that race is probably the most important race in, in the history of the sport because it's the race where we've got flag-to-flag coverage, which was unique. We never really had a full four-hour TV window. We got 16 million people tuning in, snowed in on the West Coast. You know this story. You lived it. Um, and I'm sure, how many times do you think you've told the story about going down the back straightaway with Kale, and ended up in the ended up in the grass, and in, and your brother coming along, and the fight, and everything else? How many times do you believe you relived that story? There's no telling. Yeah, um, it's there's. One thing that I that I say every time it's brought up, just like you just said, is one of the most important. Ra- it is the most. There you go. Important race in NASCAR. It is the most talk about race in NASCAR. Yeah. I don't care about Richard Petty, David. Pe- I don't care about none of that, and they're very important. Yep. But the '79 Daytona is the most talked about and the most important race in NASCAR history. I agree with you. Um, so, with that said, how um, you know how many times do you relive that moment about that, what, what I could have done different? How could have that ended better or differently for me? I mean, do you re- do do you remember coming off the of turn two? I remember every you bit remember of it. Every bit I of mean, it. I remember. Walk us, walk us through. I remember every bit of it. You know, on the 29th lap of that race, I was leading, got spun out. I don't know by Bobby or by Kale. By, I don't know which one of them did which. I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I just know that we went down through the infield in the mud. And I bent my front end up, knocked my toe out. Well, Bobby actually helped me get it straightened back out when I went back out. You know, they kept coming in and setting the toe back and everything like that. And... The last restart, Hoss come on the radio and he said to me, he said, don't worry about Kale NASCAR says he's at least five laps down. Okay. Well, we come to the next caution and he almost wrecked me 
going into trouble to make a lap back up. And I said, Oh, you don't wreck somebody five laps down. So anyway, we restart the race, and I'm leading killed on the second. And I'm going to tell you this. At that time, it was different than it is now. A guy could draft by somebody, but not necessarily could outrun him. You know, he might draft by and he get passed right back or whatever. My car, after that wreck, the first wreck, was the best race car I ever had at Daytona Beach. What at what it bent? I don't. I, and that was another thing that upset me after it was over. Then I'll get to that in a minute. But anyway, five laps to go in the race. I said to Hoss on the radio, Hoss, don't talk to me. I know where I'm at. I know what's going on, because Hoss would get on the radio and he'd be asking about having chicken dinner or something crazy. <laughs> yeah, and I knew, and I was prepared for what might what happened coming off turn four. I was not prepared for what happened coming off turn two. Mm-hmm. Okay? And I don't know if Dale did drive in a car. I never looked at anybody in my mirror in the corner at Daytona Beach. I never did. Never looked up to see where anybody was. For some reason, we're going to turn one, and I, I glance up, and I see him going down. And I said, hmm, no way, buddy. Well, we come around to turn two, and he ran into the back of me. When he did, it knocked me a little bit sideways, and that's when he hit me in the door, and we got side by side. So anyway, then the rest of the crash was over. We get down there in the infield, and and I I can't answer to this day why I didn't whip his ass. You know, I was the one in the family that had the reputation. I was in seven fights at the racetrack in my lifetime, and Bobby started five of them. And I I have no idea, except for the fact, Dale, I was so hurt. You know, this I can say to your dad, okay? The many times that he had to race one at the end and something happened, he wasn't mad. He was hurt. I mean, deep hurt. And here I am, the third, maybe fourth time I should have won the Daytona 500, and I'm in the damn grass three-quarters of a mile from the start-finish line, and I'm not going to win it again. Well, Bobby shows up, and Cale and I had already pretty well had the words we were going to have. And Cale goes over to Bobby, and I see him, you know, hit Bobby with his helmet through. What the hell is this about? So I go over, and I grab Cale by the arm, and I spun him around. I said, if you want to fight, I'm the SOB you need to be fighting with, buddy. And how Bobby Allison got out that fast that day, I have no clue. You don't get out of a race car strapped in with radios on all as fast as Bobby Allison got out that day. Here he come, and I'd seen that look before because it's my brother. And I never touched a man, and he never touched me. And I said, the good Lord looked out for us twice that day, one day, one time in the wreck, one time he didn't touch me. If he'd ever touched me, I'd have probably killed him. And, I mean, it, it, it was a—I didn't think about the fans. I didn't think about none of that at that time, not until after it was all over with. And after the race, I was down in the garage area, and Bill Fance Jr. said to me, you should have let him have the apron. When he got to turn three, he would have had to back off. I said, bullshit. 
I said he wouldn't ever backed off anyway. And I didn't put him in the apron. He put himself in the apron. I said he ran in the back of me first. He, Bill Jr. said, well, the film didn't show that. I said, by God, that's what happened. Well, but people don't know Dale. Does Bobby Allison appeal that? They find me, Bobby, and Kale $6,000 a piece. Going to give us $1,000 back a race for being good behavior. They're going to keep 1000 But they put Bobby and me on probation, not Kale. And that really hacked Bobby Allison off. So he appealed it. Well, we get a notice they're going to have the appeal at the Red Roof Inn in Atlanta. I didn't appeal it. Bobby did. I go over there. We go in this motel room. They got a big camera thing set up with video and all that stuff. And it's Les Richter, John Riddle, uh, Lance Shelters, Joe Epton, Bill Gasaway. And so everybody shook hands. And everybody, how y'all doing? And everything. I had a big round table set up in the corner over here and two chairs sitting right here. And Gasaway, after. The formalities, Gathaway says to Bobby and I, I'd like to ask you a favor. We'd like to show you this wreck one at a time. We have a room running across the hall, and one can stay in that room while we show the other one. Bobby says, or it showed a film. Bobby says, I didn't appeal to wreck. I don't see the wreck. He said, well, you sit across the hall. Bobby said, yeah. Well, the day before this happened, the day before this deal all got started, I get a phone call. Pat calls me to the phone. Somebody wants you on the phone. Well, I answer the phone. They say, Donnie, they have a film that shows a record. Make them show it to you. Who is this? They have a film that shows a record. Make them show you. Click. That was 1979. This is 19, I mean, 2023. I still do not know who that person was. I thought it was Jackie Root. I cornered Jackie. Nope, it wasn't me. He said, I know where the film came from. And he said, Bill France Jr. sent it up there. The film came from Jacksonville. So anyway, then then we got away said that we have five films. We'd like to show this in entirety, and then you comment on it. You know, it's just a wreck. It's not the whole race. So they showed the first one, which is across the infield like everybody saw us. Just two cars crashing. They can't tell what the hell's happening. The second one was a little bit more from turn three and four. You could see the cars more coming at you, crashing like this. Third film was one I was looking for. And when it got over with, I, I said to Gasaway, I said, can you run that in reverse so i tell you to stop? He said, yeah. So he put it in reverse, and when the first contact was showed him hitting me in the back bumper and my car doing like that, I said, stop. Well, it went a few frames past. And I said, can you come back slow motion until I tell you to stop? He said, I come back frame by frame. So at the first contact, I said, stop. I'll never forget what happened if I lived to be 200 years old. Les Richter popped out of his chair, and he said, why in the hell hadn't we seen that film? End of appeal. Now, I heard they put Kale on probation. I heard he appealed. I never I never talked about that. I don't have any idea. That was the end of the thing, period, paragraph. The end. So after that, um, 
<laughs> that's your whole yeah that's, that, no, that, that's well, the episode <laughs> so so what i in researching in articles and so forth i thought that was really really interesting and i actually really funny because um y'all go to rockingham which is the next race crash and well yeah you did crash we'll get to that in a minute but um y'all go to rockingham after the appeal y'all you know kale leaves daytona he's like i'm i'm good with the fine you know, I'll pay it. Y'all went and appealed and get y'all's probation cut in half. And Kale shows up to Rockingham with three months of brand new probation that he didn't even have when he left Daytona. And he was like madder than a hornet because he's walking around thinking, yeah, I'm going to pay this fine. Everything's good. And he gets to uh, Rockingham. They're like, hey, guess what, man? The Allisons have won their appeal. They're going to cut <laughs> cut their probation uh from six months to three months or whatever and hey by the way you're getting three months you didn't know you had because we watched the film right and um i just feel like that's so funny like kale walking around the garage just stomping his feet because he's he's now you know he's now got this new new part of the part of the penalty that he didn't think he was ever going to have um you guys end up going it sounds like by the articles and things that I've read that you and Kale did the best you could to give NASCAR the opinion that it was over with. Y'all went fishing, went to dinner, you know, whatever, you know, y'all at, y'all talked like, Hey man, yeah, we're good pals. We're good. There's pictures. Of y'all hang, you know, smiling together in the garage at, at Rockingham a couple weeks <laughs> after the race. Yeah. There's uh, pictures. And so, <laughs> You and him are like, oh, yeah, we're good. No problem. All that's in the past. And then you go out in the first lap or the fourth lap of the next race. It was further than that. <laughs> right? Well, it wasn't much. It was a lie about all the rest of that stuff, though. Yeah, right. It's a lie? But, like, did, did, was that I, forced? I, I, wasn't, I wasn't after Kale. I had no use for the man because of what he did. Um, I always respected Kale as a race car driver. But after the Daytona 579, I didn't respect him as a man. I had no intentions of getting another wreck. Yeah. But having to go to Rockingham, which I always ran good at Rockingham, I liked the place. And I got under him about four times down the back straightaway. Where you pass people at Rockingham, you got under him going, coming off turn two and went in turn three under him. Mm -hmm. And they were stuck on the outside. He knows he's been there. Yeah. And honestly and truthfully, we crashed because I tried not to hit him. Oh. I crashed because I got in the apron with the left side instead of staying in the racetrack. What I should have done, and this was, I told Bill France after the race, it's your fault because you put me on probation. If I hadn't been on probation, I'd have just run into him and knocked him the hell out of the way. And... I mean that's that's the gospel truth. I mean that's that's on that is all I can tell you about that. Yeah, and so you and him both, y'all get out of the car and you're like, man, that's a racing incident. Both of you both, you know, remarked that it's a racing, you know, just racing. We're not trying, you know, that wasn't anything intentional. Kale even agrees, you know, that that it wasn't. Y'all were both trying to make sure that there's no new fines, there's no new probation. <laughs> exactly. Right? Yeah, and so y'all moved on and. Um, what's interesting, I guess, about that year is later on, um, you're, you know, you're going, 
you know, there's some remarks in these articles about you sort of hinting and sharing in the garage that, man, I'm not sure what I'm going to be doing next year. Hoss and uh, Tropar, you know, Hawaiian Tropics is going to cut back, and I don't want to cut back. I want to run 15, 20 races. Hoss doesn't want to run that many races. He's scaling back. Y'all had planned starting 79 to run the full season. And as you got about eight or ten races in, Hoss says, hey, we're not going to do it. It's too much. And you're a little frustrated by it in some of the comments, but it is what it is. And then, you know, three-quarters of the way through the year, you're already thinking, yeah, he's going to scale back even more for 1980. I'm not sure I want to do that. Hey, is there other opportunities out there for me? Um, you'd end up staying, I think, with Haas. But how did how did that deal end up splitting up? Because eventually you did leave. Well, actually, Dale, it really started Daytona 500. Well, people In don't 79? know. Yeah, what people don't know is Hoss Ellington drove Kill Yarbrough home after the race. He did. I've got some articles now about I that. Found that. I found that out later on. Yeah. And I said to myself, what in the, you know, how come? But anyway, things started to deteriorate because of the way Hoss kept talking. You know, he didn't want to run all that many races. He didn't want to run it. Now, let me tell you something. I don't know how many people know the man. Sheldon Pittman called Runt, run Hoss yes. on the race. Let me tell you, that man was responsible for that race car running like it ran. The two main guys was Runt and Jackie Rogers. And I promise you, when I drove that car, if I came in and told them we turned the roof upside down and would run better, they'd turn it upside down. That's the way they felt about me. And I felt the same way about them. Well, things started getting sideways. And... As Dale Jr. knows, it started talk, conversation. A lot of things that I said or Hall said that really we didn't say. But I, I saw the I saw the end coming. I didn't really like it, but I saw it coming. And, you know, I, I just, I can't answer the question why I didn't go into it deeper and, and put it to bed. I let it fester up till it got to the point that that I did leave, and it was a mutual agreement. Yeah. Well, how, why did he take Kel Yarbrough home? So this is what I learned <laughs> I in the articles. This is what I learned. So Kale flies down there from uh, from Timmonsville, where he lives. the The storm comes, so Daytona's fine, but nobody can really get home unless they're going to drive. And Kale's got his plane down there Saturday before the race. He asked Haas if he could ride home with him because Haas had a van, and Haas said yes. They go wreck on the back straightaway, and Haas sees <laughs> Kale in the garage after the race and says, I know you wrecked my car. It cost me sixty grand. I'm pissed off at you, but you still got to ride home. Everybody, I believe, stayed the night Sunday and went home Monday morning, yes. right? And so because he couldn't, there was no rush to leave out of there, and so they end up, he, Hoss in Hoss in the articles comes out like, "Hey man, I'm a man of my word. I told you you get her get her out home. You still got one." Yeah, but he didn't say in the article what the guys felt like. They want they wanted to bury his butt. Right, <laughs> he's riding home with the enemy. And so the funny part is, is that they're about, you know, they're getting into South Carolina and Kale's driving at this point and says, "Hoss, there's a little ice on the road. I'm going to take it easy." And Hoss says, "Just keep it out of the damn grass. Is all I care about." <laughs> And so, which is pretty funny. But um, 
now that it, now hearing from you that it was like you know that was a bit annoying you know that you know why the hell would you do that well it, it, it naturally it didn't sit with me too well but there was a couple guys on the crew norman for one it infuriated him wow and you know those guys on that crew dale were a little bit different unique guys they they all had the jobs and they the only guys that worked there all the time was Jackie and Runt. Mm-hmm. And they were very dedicated. They, they wanted to win. They didn't care who it was. Yeah. You know, they wanted to win. And the biggest race of your lifetime, and he knocked you out in the end. Yep. Yeah. And then Hoss rode him home. How would you define the relationship with Cale before that race between you and him? Well, between me and him? Between- I, never, I never had a problem with Cale. Uh, you know, I I always felt for a better explanation that he was greedy. You know, he he would he would do whatever it took to win a race or make the money. Um, I never raced for money. I always got paid, but I never I never looked at a payoff sheet in my life ever that I know what first place paid. I raced to win. Banjo Matthews told me one time. He said, "You're the best race car driver I ever had, but you drive your car too damn hard." I said, well, it was my feeling that that's what you're supposed to do every time you get in the car and drive it that hard. I want to see you tell Dale Sr. he drove his car too hard. I mean, that's that's why I got in it. and But a lot of times it hurt me. Yeah. NASCAR history and heritage come alive at the NASCAR Hall of Fame. Celebrate my fellow inductees Donnie Allison, Jimmy Johnson, and Chad Knauss with their class of 2024 artifacts enshrined in the Hall of Honor. Don't miss the Ford Performance Showcase. It's a new inside NASCAR exhibit that showcases the Ford Mustang's next-gen car through its design and innovation. The latest edition of Glory Road explores over 75 years of racing history with its cool 33-degree banking and 19 cars on display On Mondays and Fridays, there's guided tours that take you behind the scenes with incredible stories and access to a NASCAR Hall of Fame insider. Or you can explore the hall at your own pace with the new mobile hub. It's a digital experience. Get behind the wheel of a realistic iRacing simulator. Or you can learn how fast-paced pit stops work with the Pit Crew Challenge. From the legends who shaped the sport to the new heroes earning a spot in the record books, The NASCAR Hall of Fame delivers an unforgettable experience. Book your visit to the hall today at nascarhall.com. You go through uh, 1980, but in 1981, World 600, you had this crash that seriously injured you. Um, What do you remember about that wreck? Uh, Only I know I was uh, coming two, four laps down, or how much it was. Uh, Neil was fixing to lap me again, and... What I was doing driving that car, I don't know. The year before, I parked when I could go out of a pit stop way in the back and come back and get the lead. And it belonged to Will Cronkite. And every time we make a pit stop, I'd go from first or second to 31st or second. And so I parked. And here I am in, in John Reben's car. And Harry Hyde's crew chief. And can't drive it. You can't drive this thing in all Charlotte City, much less racetrack. And I'm still running. And uh, I can tell you this much. I didn't spin that thing out for trying too hard because I got more sense than that. Yeah. 
but I spun out and Dick Brooks hit me and uh, the rest is history. I don't know myself. I don't remember. The next thing I really remember is in Birmingham in the hospital was uh, Steve Meal, Kyle Petty and him coming to see me in the hospital. Damn. All the way down in Birmingham. Yep. I was when I was back. That's a, that's what I can really actually tell yeah. you. I remember. So, what were your injuries? Well, I had a pretty bad head injury. Uh, I broke my leg real bad. Uh, my cheekbone. Damn. And um, I guess that's that's about enough. <laughs> yeah, that's plenty. So that wreck in 1981 was pretty much the end of your racing career did you race uh short tracks or anything after that oh, yes. I, mean, I know you ran a couple more cup races oh yes yeah i did uh but were you you know did you did you when you think back to that time i mean back then you're like you know it was such a different culture it was even different when i started racing like you know you'd bang your head i remember wrecking at daytona and getting a concussion and laughing about it you know oh man i rung my bell wow i'm dizzy i'll be fine and you know, you would you got you got hurt. You hurt your head. You probably thought uh, this will go. This will. I wait. This will get better. When it's better, I'm going to race. Right. That's exactly the way I felt. Yeah. It wasn't was I going to race again. It was when oh, yeah. I going to race again. Yeah. And so, you know, what was the process? What was that like? You know, when you go back, I'm. I guess there were fewer opportunities. Um, Never after that wreck, Dale, did I have the opportunity to get in a good car. Right. And and it, this hurt me. Now the the best thing I had going was the bush car that my son Kenny built, took care of. That was that twenty three. Twenty three that I red that, and white car that erected Daytona that, at the end of the race that time. That race I should have won. You know, Patty Muiz called that wreck, but uh, uh, I got a lap down at that time. I was on Hoosier tires and. I restarted the race and went down and turned one and hauled to Kenny. I got a flat, Kenny. That was the first lap. Just had got the green. He said, which one is it, Dad? I said, I'm not sure. I said, I'll try to tell you before I get there. Well, I came and made a pit stop and they changed four tires. I lost a lap. Mm-hmm. I ran the whole rest of the race till 12 laps to go or whatever it was, a lap down. I was in the front, but I was a lap down. Well, I got a caution. And, you know, Bobby was running good. Rusty Wallace was running good. Jeff Bodine was running good. And on the restart, I tell my son Kenny, Kenny, if I can dodge all these bullets, we'll win this race. Well, I didn't dodge them all. You know, that's when I crashed real bad and the hood went like a frisbee up in the sands and all that. But uh, uh, at that time, Dale... I never got back in a good cup car because I'm I'm not sure that people knew how bad I was hurt or how well I'd got over it. Right. So they just didn't know. No. And you you couldn't convince them. No. Where you well, race? You, you know oh, when yeah. you got a head injury, you know the first thing they do they your damaged goods. Yeah. Everybody. Very. When you were you running a short track car anywhere? Oh yeah, yeah. My first race back at BIR. Um, I never forget. I come down the front straight away, and I won the race. And I looked out the window and I said, "Thank you, God, thank you." Yeah, yeah. And I'll never forget that, as long as I live. 
Um, I, I was probably, Pat could tell you probably better than anybody, I was probably pretty ornery sometimes because I wanted to race and I couldn't. So, but. When did you run your last competitive event? Do you remember? No, my last competitive Cub event was in 88, 1988. Yep. What about short tracks? Um, in the 90s. Really? Yes. Yeah. Wouldn't BIR, BIR went away. In Birmingham International yeah. Raceway. And, and it was, I mean, were you racing at BIR all the way up until then? Which would have been the. Uh, no, no, I, I, at the very end, no, I didn't. Uh, uh, probably my last race in BIR was, uh, well, David got killed in 93, so it was probably 91. Yeah. Early 90s, right. That's yeah. What I, so what was the deciding factor for well, – I mean, I always love to ask this question about drivers because it's such a curious thing for me. But, like, what, how do you, how did you make the decision when you got out of the car the last time, whether it was at a short track or wherever? How did you make the decision that that was the final, final time for you? I didn't. It got made for you? I guess. I don't really know. I can't answer that question. Um because I thought about many a time after I had been out of the car a while, get back in and show somebody what they were doing wrong, yeah. which I was good at anyway. <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, it's just like Nemec checks cars. Uh, when I crew chief his cars, he yeah. was a good race car driver and everything like that. But I ran his car five times, and he never ran as fast as I ran. <laughs> I swapped cars with my brother six times. And he never ran as fast as I ran in his own car. Yeah. What about when you see Red still getting it done uh, and still driving and racing at his age? I mean, what what is your thoughts to that? Well, I have two. First of all, he's not going to win. You know, uh, he won a heat race in, in, in the dirt track last this past year. He did, yeah. And somebody told me that their driver let him win it, but – who says what i give him credit where is 90 year old man i went last year to little talladega short track and i hadn't been down around his cars in a long time and he's got a footstool one of them little stools to get in the car yeah and so i give him heck about that for all the time. <laughs> I, <guarantee it. laughs> I said it's pretty bad when you need a damn stool <laughs> or a bench to get in your damn car <laughs> and uh, uh but i give him credit yeah. And you go to the shop, he'll tell you everything about it, all the cars. Mm -hmm. See, he's one of the last of the Mohegans that can tell you every piece of that car, plus work on it, plus drive the hell yeah. out of it. Yeah, yeah. How close are you and your brother throughout your whole career? Oh, very close. Very close. Very, very close. What was the, um, what was that experience like watching him go through his crash? And ha you having went through something somewhat similar in 81, um, but his obviously much much more severe, I imagine. What was that like for you to have to um, watch him go through that? And maybe how did you how did you help him? Well, it was it was really devastating to me. Ironically, uh, when Davey got hurt in Pocono, and I was at the same golf course on the same hole when both of them got hurt. Damn. Oh wow! And I used to play a lot of golf, and and it was on a Sunday, and I was at Lennon Country Club 
on the eighth hole, par three. And they didn't come get me when Davey crashed, but they came and told me. They came and got me when Bobby crashed. So I got in the golf cart and I ran. By the time I got to the clubhouse, they were having a replay on television. And uh, so I called my brother-in-law, Donnie Johnson, in Hueytown. My farm is 100 miles from Hueytown. And I asked him, was it his head? Yes. Oh, no. Because of my own deal with the head. And so I go home. I tell Pat that I'm going to Allentown. And so I called Dr. Petty, which took care of me when I got hurt. Yeah. The best man took ever. Took care of me every time The best I got man hurt. ever. Yeah. I don't care. Mm-hmm. I have a different one now, which is a lady. She's just as good. But anyway, I called Dr. Petty. He's Donnie. I've already been talked to him at the hospital. He said it's not good. He says, uh, uh, I'm on a call tonight. He said, but I'll go if you want to go tonight. I said, what time in the morning? He said, pick me up at Butler Aviation at 8 o'clock in the morning. So I called the guy, that, the other guy, other pilot, Bobby's second Aerostar, and I said, what time do we have to leave Bessemer to be at Charlotte at 8 o'clock? At, so he told me. I said, okay, be ready to go. So we stopped and, and picked him up and went to Allentown. And, you know, I, I didn't see me when I was hurt. I mean, I know, I know, I look bad. My brother Eddie tells me all the time, "God, the money, I'll see how bad you look." She, Pat, you know, I didn't look very. I don't look good anyway. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, but anyway, we get there, and Petty goes right on back in. You know, cause he's the doctor. I'm out there in the waiting room, and he comes out and gets me. He says, "You want to go see him?" I said, "Yes, I do." He said, "It's not pretty." So I go back, and he's got all these tubes in him and all this stuff. You know, and I'm holding his hand. He's not moving. And so we get done with that trip. We get back in the airplane going back to Charlotte. And Petty, he doesn't really say anything about Bobby much, about the injury or nothing. And he said, Wednesday morning, 8 o'clock. In other words, I won't pick him up Wednesday morning. This was Monday morning. Wednesday morning, I'll pick him up again. So we do the same thing on Wednesday morning and go back up there. And we get an airplane coming home, and he's sitting there across from me, and he says, you know, he says, he says I think he's going to make it. Just like that. I mean, just like I'm talking to y'all. Yeah. I, I think he's going to make it. He said, in 25 years of practice, I've never seen or heard of a patient living with what your brother's injury. He said, reach on the back of your head and feel that little bump sticking out. Yep. He said, he broke his off. He said, that protects the spinal cord. So anyway, from that time on, it was it was pretty bad because when he came to Alabama, he went into rehab. And what got me well, Dale, was my farm. I'm, I'm in the trailer at the farm. My tractor's sitting out there in the pasture with a bush hog hooked on. And I get my crutches, and I start across out the door, and Pat says, where are you going? I said, I'm going to run my tractor. She says, you can't do that. I said, yes, I can. That's rehab right there. So I go out there. I put my cratch. I got a 53 Ford hood mounted on the top of Massey Ferguson's tractor. I stick my crutches up in there, and I get up on there, and I bush hog me a circle out there. I come back. I get my crutches. I go back in the house. I'm sitting there. I get up and start out again. 
And Pat said, what are you doing now? I'm going to run my tractor again. She said, I have to go to U Town to get the kids from school. I said, well, you go ahead. I know how to make coffee. I know how to use the bathroom. That's the first night I ever stayed by myself. And from that time on, it was uphill climb. Well, that's what I told Bobby. Neil, I know you got a jillion letters and get well and everything mm-hmm. like that. I have a coffee table made out of a hatch cover of an old ship. It's about as long as from here to there and about yep. the widest that Xfinity sign there. And it was full of get well cards all on the floor. I'm sitting there, I'm doing get well cards. Pat says, you know, about time I did some more. I don't know why. But I got aggravated, and I took my hand, and I went a lot of get well cards. When it, I was still in boxes somewhere, I guess. And I got up. I said, that's it. I ain't sitting around no more. That's what got me well. Doing Bobby's, you said it was so rough with Bobby, though. Um, like, t- talk about that. Like, you, did, Bobby didn't have a farm. What did Bobby, what was Bobby's? Motivation. Motivation, right. None. Thank you. They had none. You know, every time I went around Bobby or anything else, he was doing, sitting in the same chair in the same place. Mm. And I said, Bobby, you got to get up. You got to do something. He said, I can't walk. My legs hurt. I said, well, get a wheelchair and ride then. Yeah. I said, get up. How's Bobby doing now? He's struggling a little bit, but he's not doing bad at all. Because, you know, when that plane rides we had with Petty, mm-hmm. you know, they said he would never, ever fly an airplane again. He said, I'm going to pass my physical. He went to Oklahoma for uh, uh, to school. Yeah. Passed his physical, got his pilot license back. Yeah. I flew with him a lot afterwards. He couldn't fly an airplane as good after as he could before because he always landed about three foot off the ground. But you know, I used to be amazed because no matter how bad the weather was, whether the wind was doing anything else, you never felt Bobby Allison's airplane touch the ground when he landed. You never felt the wheels hit. I mean, he he was probably the best I ever flew with. Hmm. But well, after his accident, he'd land about two foot off the ground every time. And yeah. that thing, I told him, I said, Bobby, you're going to stick the struts up through the wing. Yeah, he'd land it pretty hard. <laughs> he, um, he would you know, come back and become an owner in NASCAR and run a race team. And for as bad as things were in that accident, you know, he did, he did, he did, he did make a comeback physically. Um, that I think is, you know, for, especially hearing what you're saying about Dr. Petty describing the injury and how severe it was and that he was surprised that he was still alive. Um, when I look at that car and pictures of that car from that accident in Pocono for Bobby, I can't ima- I can't believe he survived it because of the destruction to the car itself. But, um, you know, I did. You, did it? You know, was y'all's relationship from that moment on still the same all these years later? I know I've been around you two together on a couple occasions here, especially recently, and y'all's bond seems at you. You both have this sort of innate ability to like look out for each other, look after one another. You've got each other's back like you always had, like you did in that turn three in 1979 at the Daytona 500. All of that stayed intact. Is that true? Oh yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, that comes from Kitty and Ed, Mom and Pop Allison. Okay. Um, our family has always been very close. Now, we all have had problems. Uh, you know, like I said, I, I had a reputation of being a fighter. I've been in a fight with every one of my brothers. <laughs> I beat all of them's butt. <laughs> uh, the only one that ever hurt me at all was my younger brother, Tommy, hit me in the back of the head with a shoe. Shoe. But, uh, I mean, we've been very close. Yeah. No matter what happened, uh, it was always family first. Yeah. Um, Bobby was a little difficult sometimes because he was so independent. Yeah. You know, uh, he he always felt like he could beat anybody, anywhere, anytime. That if he didn't, it was his car's fault. It wasn't his fault. Yeah. We got in a we got in a pretty bad time in the '60s in the modified special, and he wrecked me on Saturday night, and I worked all night, me and my brother Eddie, and I wrecked him on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Well, like this hand is on my shoulder, uh, and when it got on my shoulder, I knew it was my dad. My dad said, "I didn't raise you boys like that." He said, "You go to Bobby and straighten this out." And I said, "Dad, I didn't start it." I'm not going to Bobby. He said, I said, go to Bobby and straighten it out. Well, Bobby's car owner owned a used car lot up in 3rd Avenue in Birmingham. So I go up there and I pull around. It was a house trailer office. So I pulled around the back and a salesman walked out about that time. And his eyes got about big as that when he saw me drive up. I said, is Bobby Allison in there? He said, yes, he is. Okay, I jumped out of the car, went in there, and there was Bobby. And I said, Bobby, I'm going to come up here because my dad told me to come. And I said, we can straighten this out in here or out there. Neither, I pointed out the back door. I, I said, let me tell you how I feel about this. I said, I'm on the left and you're on the right and we have a problem. It's my fault. You're on the right and I'm on the left or left or right. It's swapped. My fault. You're in the front and I'm in the back. It's my fault. I'm in the back and you're in the front. It's my fault. 50% of the damn time, it's your, where I was when it was my fault. He said, I never thought of it like that. We never had a problem afterwards. Yeah. We never had a problem. Now, we run into one another. You know, just like his daddy. Well, tell me about his dad. Well, I got a good story about his dad, real good one. But his father, when he drove a race car, he drove it to win. He didn't care about anything else, but he wanted to win. I mean, that was the feeling the old guys like Meyer had. Mm-hmm. And maybe some of the younger guys have a little bit of it now, but nothing like we had back in our day. I was very, very good friends with Dale Sr. I had a very big mess up with him one time. I was at Charlotte Motor Speedway. He was in a black, I mean, blue and yellow first year he drove for Richard Childers. And he ran into me about to start finish line practice. And he hit me pretty hard. Well, I got against, he got against me down in turn one. I stopped. I slowed him down and stopped him. When he come outside of me, coming off the corner, and I shook my finger at him. Well, at that time, the garage area used to run down the front straightaway along. Uh, Dale, you remember. Mm-hmm. Well, I was parked around here on this end in the second garage because the tires was all stacked up. And Dale was on this side way down this end. Well, when I came in and went in my pit area, my guys knew something was wrong. They didn't know what because I never said anything about it. Well, I had to go around the tires like this to get down there. When I got down there, Dale was getting out and had his leg 
one leg still in the window, the other leg on the ground, you know, getting ready to step out of the car. And Big Chocolate, he's going to right away jump in there. And I said, you stand right there. I ain't come here to talk to you. I come here to talk to Dale. And so I said to Dale, I said, Dale, let me tell you something. I said, if you've ever run into me in practice again like that, I said, I'm going to wreck your ass and I'm going to beat your ass. He said, whoa, whoa, whoa. I said, you heard what I said. I turned around and went back to my garage. Well, it was probably an hour later or two hours later, he come down there and he says, are you cooled down? Can I talk to you now? I said, I've been cooled down. <laughs> and I said, Dale, there's no sense running somebody in practice like that. Now, he didn't just bump me. He, I mean, he ran into me. He said, yes, yeah, I didn't mean to do that. I said, well, then pay attention to what the hell you're doing. We never, ever, ever had a problem after that, ever. What do you remember from him on that rookie season in 79? Like, at what point, I guess I'm curious about what point did you guys start going, oh, this isn't just your everyday rookie. This, this guy's legit. Now, I know he wins a race it, not, not too long after the season started, but I'm just curious on when did Dale Earnhardt start to emerge in his competitor's eyes as a legit race car driver? I think right away. I think right away, I, I, you can see that. You know, I don't know how Bobby Allison felt or maybe Richard Petty felt, and I really don't care. You know, myself personally, watching him, I knew it wasn't going to be long before he started winning, winning on a regular basis. Yeah. You know, it's like I said, the guys that could win in a good car won. No question. And you can take guys – and put them in good cards. They can't win. They ain't going to win. I don't care what you do. He credits you in some articles with helping him figure out Darlington the first time. You know, they went there. He was having some problems getting up to speed and not entering turn one right. And he talks about how you specifically helped him understand the line he needed to run. Well, Dale, you know, it was really weird because when I went to Darlington the first time, I was in a Chevelle. And Bobby Allison, red and white Chevelle, Bracken Brothers owned it at the time, but – I'm the only rookie. You can go back and look at the paper. I'm the only rookie that qualified the first day at Darlington in that Chevelle. Yeah. But I had a guy, Ralph Moody, carry me down to the scoring stand. He said, come on, I want to show you something. We went down there, and you could see all the turn three and four. It's one and two now, but right. three and four. Yep. He said, here's the secret. Everybody runs fast through the other end of this racetrack. It's a conventional corner. He said, what you got to do here, he said, you got to find out where you can open the throttle wide open and not back back off. Yeah. Hmm. Because you get into turn three, at that time, turn three, and you can get in the throttle hard. I mean, you can get in wide open, but you got to back back off because if you don't, you're going to knock that wall down coming off four. That's right. So I, hmm. so I started trying this when I went to practice. And next thing you know, I'm beating everybody two tenths of a second, 2,500, three tenths of a second around the racetrack. Hmm. So that stuck with me. Darlington. And Daytona, the two racetracks that really hurt me bad. I didn't win it. I won the 400 in the Bush race, not the 500. 
I liked Daytona. I could run Daytona good. I could draft good. But I loved Darlington. Yeah. I mean, I loved Darlington. I should have won there five times. I didn't won it. Yeah, you were close on a couple right there to the very end. Yep. yep. And and had some crazy thing happen. In Hoss's oh, yeah. car, I'm lapping David Pearson, 143rd lap, and the water pump bus, shaft bus, goes through the radiator, and I wreck going in turn one. Pearson wins the race. And, I mean, I'm, I lapped him. Um, several other times, stupid things happen like that. Yeah. We're coming up on another uh, round of voting for the Hall of Fame. And you're on the ballot as a, one of the pioneers. Um, you know, how, 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 first off, how great does it feel to be uh, part of that group, to be – to be part of the part of the people, you know, when they narrow that less down, you know, we I've sat in those meetings and listened to the conversations and they'll talk about three dozen, four dozen different people that possibly need to be considered, but it eventually gets whittled down to this very small group. And you're in that group. All those people that are in that group are hall of famers. You're an absolute hall of famer, but, and so how does that feel to see your, face and your picture in that group well it's probably probably one of the greatest things could possibly ever happen to me i'm in eight other halls of fame and it will be the, the culmination like i told somebody the other day of a lot of hard work um a lot of dedication uh, somebody was asking me the other day what when the first time i had a nascar license I think in 59, I know in 1960, when I run modified special, but I ran a couple of races in 59 in Alabama. I think it was 59, but I've been a NASCAR member since 1960, I know. And I've always supported our sport, mm-hmm. best sport in the world ever. And I, I just, I feel very honored. I know there's some really, really good people on the same ballot I'm on, and I got mixed emotions about <laughs> uh, voting. Sure. Um, I really, really got paid a compliment the day before yesterday. Uh, somebody called me and said I got there's people in Brazil and Dominican Republic voting for you. Yeah. Oh, that's that's right because fans can vote. I mean, actually, people can contribute to getting Donnie Allison in the Hall of Fame. That's right. Yeah. That's right. You can go to NASCAR.com/slash Hall of Fame and vote for Donnie Allison right now on the Pioneer ballot if you if you choose to do so. And you should do it. Yeah, because you belong there, Donnie. That, well, that's right. I appreciate that very much, and and hopefully uh, it works out this time. If it don't, well, we'll we'll see what happens later. But uh, you know, I have mixed emotions about that deal. Uh, you know, when this thing started, okay, now I'll tell you, talking about brothers and everything like that. Well, the year that Bobby got put in, they were talking about Dale, I mean, um, Daryl Waltrip. And I made a statement, if Daryl Waltrip goes in the Hall of Fame before Bobby Allison, I myself will run the Hall of Fame out of business. <laughs> That's the way I felt. Yeah. I mean, I haven't felt that way about him. The only other person I feel like very unjustly is not in there is Banjo Matthews. Right. 
Now, I know I drove for him and everything like that, but look what that man did. Look at the cars he built. Look, yeah. at, the, look at the people he helped. Yes. It's a great argument. We don't talk about Banjo Matthews, Matthews enough on the show, and I can't wait to do yeah. it. I mean, like, that. What? Oh. Well, anytime you want to sit down and talk about him, yeah. you just holler at me, and I'll be glad to help you. We'll do it. There's intangibles that I don't envy, Dale, the, the, the people that do vote, and I don't, because there's so much of the actual, like, the soul. Yeah. that people contribute their whole lives to that aren't in a stat line. They're just not. Now, you have stats that, could, that should get you to Hall of Fame anyways, but there's there's those intangibles, and it's those are the, the ones yeah, that like are— For Donnie, for example, he mentored many, many drivers. Right. He was a part of you know many teams uh, aside, you know, as a crew chief, a general manager, and, and advisor, and so forth, and— um, yeah, it's a it's a good conversation, you know, and I, yeah. it's fun to have. You know, and all this started by you talking about me helping Dale at Darlington. Yeah, you know, not only Dale, <laughs> not only Dale, uh, Jeff Gordon. Yeah, Davy so, Allison. Mm-hmm. You see, Davy Allison driving a twenty eight car, and it's a rocket, without a question, it's a rocket. Fast car. Well, I got Davy and said, Davy, you come on and go with me. Where are we going, Uncle Donnie? I said, Come and go with me. He said, I got to stay here. I said, No, go with me. I took him down to that same tower in turn three. And believe it or not, Jeff O'Dine was in the 11 car out there running at the time. And damn, he wasn't doing the same thing I was talking about. And at that time, was out running everybody pretty good in Junior's car. I took him up there and I showed him the same thing that Ralph Moody told me. And I said, Davey, you do what I'm telling you, and you'll outrun everybody by half a second. Because his car was a rocket ship. Well, not only did he outrun him by half, he, won, he sat on the pole and won the race. Yeah. And Jeff Gordon, Ray Evernham still thanks me for that. And, you know, I mean, it was things that I learned by people wanting to help me, so I wanted to try to help somebody else too. Yeah. Uh, and and Darlington was a place that I could really help them. Well, I, uh, you did help a lot of people. And, uh, again, if you want to help – Donnie, uh, he is on the Pioneer ballot for the Hall of Fame this year, nascar.com slash Hall of Fame. Fans can vote and impact who goes in. And a lot of people hopefully are voting for you, Donnie. I appreciate you coming in today. This has been awesome Thank to you, sit buddy. down. You betcha. It's been awesome. I've known you a long time. You've been amazing to me. Uh, and I've to, to have gotten to know Kenny, Ronald, and Donald, how that shaped me at such a very young age, left a great impression on me. Uh, Dad was right. He couldn't do nothing with me, but he sent me over there to Kenny's. And Kenny, <laughs> and Kenny did. <laughs> Kenny did. Kenny helped me understand what I needed to be doing and helped me shape shape me as a man. So I uh, appreciate the connection that I have with your family. And, um, again, thanks for visiting us t- today, and I hope you have a great week, bud. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Yes, sir. Donnie Allison on the Dale Jr. Download. Well, Mike, um, quick reaction to the Donnie Allison interview, and uh, I'll just go ahead and and say a few things. Number one, the memory on that guy at his age and everything, that the details that he recalls from his career, even considering the uh, 1981 head injury, 
not only is it incredible, but it certainly makes me happy because I've gone through my own issues with concussions and so forth. And the fact that he's as sharp as he is is pretty remarkable. And obviously he believes that he was the best race car driver that ever drove in NASCAR. Uh, and that's his, and every NASCAR, every NASCAR driver should think that way. Uh, I certainly did during my career. But um, he continues to to, <laughs> so. to believe, and he'll remind you of everything right. that uh, you know that would argue that point. And if somebody else had an accolade, he probably helped them, and he'll That's tell right. you that too. Yeah, which I love. I mean, <laughs> I, and I it's probably not entirely uh, untrue, right? So there's some truth to a lot of what he's telling you. Um, and when you do go out there and do something on the racetrack, boy, you never forget it, especially when you beat somebody. Um, the other thing uh, that I really enjoyed talking about and hearing from him, and I love, and I, I sometimes, honestly, you know, you just get to live in your life and you kind of forget where you've been. Um, I love going back and talking about that little brief period of my life where I worked with his sons, Kenny, Ronald, and Donald. And really, they, he's, you know, he's right. They, they were the keepers and builders of the Legends car that we know today. That started as a very small niche race car that was sold to a, you know, a very regionally right here around uh, the Concord area. You could only race this car at, at Charlotte Motor Speedway. There's an entirely different, but at the same time, similar car being built up in, in a different part of the country called the Dwarf Car. And they, were, they would race them together. Some of the guys from up north would bring their dwarf cars down and race with us here with our Legends cars. And maybe we were copying them, I'm not sure. But the, the Allison brothers, Donnie, uh, Donnie's sons, Kenny, they started building these Legends cars. And, what, and, and eventually Humpy and, and, and Marcus Smith and all of them now have six, what has developed into 600 racing. They, they took it on themselves and completely... Um, they build thousands of these things every every year that go all over the world. They race overseas. All of that started out of this little shop on Highway 70 in Salisbury, North Carolina. And um, anyways, I remember going over there and working. And uh, one time, you know, Kenny's like, hey, we got to go get some spindles. They used spindles off of foreign cars and we'd go to these junkyards and pull these struts out of these old Nissans and stuff, take them back to Kenny's shop, and he'd say, here, fire the torch up, cut the spindle off the strut. Mm. I'm like, I've never run a torch. Here we go. I'm torching this stuff, and I'm learning how to, how to use these tools, right? 15, 16 years old. And uh, he'd had me in there parts washing all morning, so I had parts washer all over the front of my shirt. That catches on fire, and... Uh, he comes over and kicks me because I can't tell I'm on fire. I don't see it just yet, and I'm torching with the helmet on, and he kicks me, and I stand up, and I look down, and my shirt's <laughs> on fire. It burnt like a half moon out of the bottom of my shirt tail. They laughed about that. Then, the, then like, not literally, like a month later, one of the molten globules that, cut, that pop, you know, you're, when you're torching, there's stuff flying everywhere. It's hot little balls of melted steel. you got to be careful, right, not to get any of that stuff on you. And it, one of them hops off and lands right on top of the, the line from the torch cut and burns a hole in it. And now there's a blue flame shooting out of this torch line. He comes over there and he's turning the bottles off and kicking me again. Um, but I, had a, I have a lot of memories. Like just the simple, I know I'm in the weeds here, but just the simple 
uh, simple idea of getting together and going to lunch with your coworkers. Mm. That was the very first experience I ever had of that, that people take for granted every single day. That was my first experience with something like that. And he's right. Sending me there was the best thing that could happen to me because I was forced to get along with everybody. I wasn't Dale Earnhardt's son. I wasn't catered to, coddled. You had to get it, get going. Those guys, all those guys in that shop were harder on me because I was Dale Hart's son, right? Sure. It was awesome. Yeah. And so anyways. I Life loved, lessons began there. I know, you're right. And so anyways, Donnie, I hope people go vote for him uh, for, the, for the Pioneer ballot. Um, and he is, uh, it's great to have him around, to be able to still tell these stories, these stories that we're trying to create here at Durimo Media, especially like – for example, the 1979 season, we're recreating that. I am uh, for fear of it being uh, lost, lost right? right? Yeah, right. For lack of a better word, and he's still here and able to share those memories. He's articulate. It's not he just is. that his mind is so sharp, but he's articulate as well. I want to. I want to just uh, make sure that our editors and video uh, guys know there was a moment in the interview that is going to be my favorite moment, and it, and you won't be able to tell it on a podcast. But it was in the moment in which you were talking about how after the Daytona 500, he and Kale were trying to go out of their way to meet. Uh, or to, to allow NASCAR appease to NASCAR. really appease NASCAR, yeah. right? To really go go out of their way. And he had this grin and this look on his face. He, t- he shot a look to me. And it was like, if he could say it, it was like, it was all bull****. But you it, said it. Yeah, and, and, and he goes, he had that grin and it was just like, Oh, that's just good. And so uh, the, you'll, the TV show hopefully shows yeah. that. The video guys show that. It's, it's a, so good. I know me and you probably didn't pick up on it, but it's funny now that we did this entire interview with a, with a, with a ceramic model of Kale Yarbrough's car sitting in between us. <laughs> the only thing on the, the, only thing on the table. Right, right in front of him. <laughs> Sorry, Donnie. You know he knew it. Sorry, Donnie. That was not intentional, buddy. Sorry. That's so funny. Anyways, man, I enjoyed the I enjoyed the interview with Donnie and and uh, even though we're doing this uh, you know this series with the '79 season uh, and becoming Earnhardt, it's it's great to sit down with with some folks and have such great conversations. We'll see you next week on the Dale Junior Download. Check out Dirty Mode Media. 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 Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram.